This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S Detox for $20 off any order of $50 or more with Bitsbox. Well, hello there, Detox Podcast listeners. I'm Margaret Abels, and I'm, Amy, what would you say? I like to say I'm like a laid back, let it ride kind of a mom. You're laissez-faire. I'm laissez-faire. It'll all work out. And I'm not. I'm more of a by-the-book, organized, never-met-a-list-I-didn't-like kind of parent. The good news about that, though, is if you don't like doing research, Amy does it for you. She's going to figure it out, guys. Together, we host the comedy parenting podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, where every week we solve a vexing parenting dilemma with actual real research device. And also a ton of laughs. So don't worry. It's not all seriousness. We need both. Join us. You can find us at whatfreshhellpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads where this dad talks about life, kids, and stuff. I am your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I speak to Mike Spore, the parenting editor at BuzzFeed.com. Yes, BuzzFeed, the site with all those fantastic listicles and quizzes that tell you which NSYNC member you are or are not. Uh, yes, but there is a great parenting section on BuzzFeed.com. Mike is the parenting editor of that, and we talk about his career, and we talk about his parenting style, his life in general leading up to parenthood, as well as his book that he has written, The Toddler Survival Guide. It is a great discussion, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. And so stick around. We'll have more great content with Mike right after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Mr. Mike Spore, the parenting editor of BuzzFeed.com. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. It is a uh, balmy uh, 75 degrees here in uh, Texas, quite muggy with the uh, back and forth between the hot and the cold, so we can't seem to figure out what kind of weather we want. <laughs> um, we've had some crazy uh, rains out here. I know people always laugh at Californians because I'm in Los Angeles. People right. always laugh at us when we get rain because we act like it's the, the apocalypse and the end of the world. But we've had some serious rain, though. Man, that's crazy. Oh, man. So we are definitely blessed to not have the uh, the polar vortex as bad as it was, but uh, but still <laughs> got some crazy up and down weathers as a result. But anyways, enough about that. We're not, uh, the, this is not the weather podcast, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> anyways, Mike, uh, we got a lot of great stuff to cover on the show today. And I kind of want to start you out with a question that I typically ask uh, a parent that will come on the show. But I want to know, uh, what do you think makes a good dad? I think you know, the one thing they say or someone said somewhere that, uh, you know, 95 percent of life is showing up. Right. And I think, you know, that's definitely true with parenting. You know, you got to be there for your kids and, uh, you know, be involved with their lives and, and spend time with them. I think that's a huge part of it. 
Um, and then also I think, you know, patience is huge and love. You know, I think a lot of times with dads, well, maybe not so much today, but certainly in the past, you had all these kind of uh, army sergeant dads who never right. told their kids they loved them or hugged them. Um, I think the opposite way of that is the way to go, being more loving and, and caring and I think those three things, if you put them together, you're probably doing a decent job. Right, definitely. Now, did you grow up with uh, with one of those said army sergeant dads? No, I didn't. Okay. Actually, my dad was uh, uh, a great dad, and he was uh, pretty uh, loving and affectionate. So he was, a, so I didn't have one of those dads. <laughs> right, right. Actually, known people have told me, you know, you meet people older later in life who kind of have uh, intimacy issues or they they have trouble, you know, getting close to people and. Sometimes right. you find out it is because they came in one of those homes, came right. up in one of those homes. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's it's what's interesting that uh, something that I've noticed uh, definitely as a result of doing this podcast, but also just in general from day to day life is that you see, you know, uh, we're always trying to be a little bit better than the, than the previous generation that came before us. And I think one of the things that is most evident in that is on fatherhood. And that is the fact that you, you're having these dads who, you know, weren't engaged at all. And then you're having dads that are present, but are, you know, not able to express these kind of emotions. And you have dads that are expressing emotions, but uh, are still trying to figure it out. And then you've got like, you know, hopefully like the next generation is, you know, they're, they're fully immersed and, and it gets to a point where it's, it's across the board. Everybody is present. Everybody is, you know, expressing their emotions and everybody's, you know, more or less well-adjusted that, you know, that's a, that's a, a bit of a utopia mindset, but that's definitely what we're, uh, what we're striving for overall. For sure. Yeah, I think we're heading in the right direction with dads. I think you know you see fatherhood, especially in the last 10, 20 years, you see um, a lot more acceptance in the media and you know on social media uh, in you know the idea of being an involved, caring father, stay-at-home parenthood, fatherhood. Right. Uh, this is stuff that kind of wasn't really accepted before or seen as the status quo. I mean, Mr. Mom was like a wacky comedy. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was definitely one of those things where it's like, what a dad staying home to play homemaker. Whoa, oh, I got that. <laughs> Michael Keaton, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> oh, the crazy uh, the song to play in the, or the soundtrack. Right. Uh, little did he know that Mr. Mom is what would get him Batman, not anything else. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh man, no. But but I digress. So I know uh, I want to pivot since uh, I know it's uh, uh, just a smidge, and we're. Getting getting ready. Uh, you know, we're not, not too far out from the start of uh, baseball spring training, you know, a couple months away. But uh, uh, as I understand it, you're a big uh, San Francisco Giants fan. Is that correct? I am. Yeah, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I've been to Los Angeles the last 20 or so years, but I grew up in the Bay Area. So that's still my team. And uh, I grew up uh, loving Will Clark and Robbie Thompson, those guys okay. in the 80s. And then, you know, you had Barry Bonds. And then you had the great yep. teams the last few years with uh, Buster Posey and the World Series Championship. So, yeah, I love the Giants. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a, a little bit heartbreaking when they uh, beat the, the Rangers in the World Series not too long ago. But uh, that it was... was. You guys, the Rangers <laughs> got back there the next year and they lost again. Uh, we so don't... it was a we... tough time. Yeah, we don't need to talk about right. that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, but were you uh, were you following the Dodgers when they were up against the Astros uh, a couple of years ago? Were you pulling for the Dodgers? I know your wife is a Dodgers fan. Is that correct? Right. Well, the funny thing is, to me, I was I always thought that if you found a, a girl who loved baseball, even if she loved the Dodgers, that was uh, good enough. You know, because <laughs> right. you know we're, we're able to go to games together. We're able to talk baseball. We have fun um, that way. But yeah, she's kind of. Uh, uh, 
poison the children. So they're Dodger fans. Oh, no. And, <laughs> yeah. So they were falling like crazy right up to the end. Game seven, the Astros won it. So uh, the yeah. funny thing about that is that my son, who was five, he then went up to do T-ball like a month later. and Or maybe it was a few months later. But uh, they were all handing out the teams. And I thought this was kind of cruel. They made uh, some of the kids there be on the Astros. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, We've got all these Los Angeles kids who had their hearts broken by the Astros having to pull on these jerseys. Right. Got tears in their eyes. I don't want to be on right. the Astros. Right. I think it's uh, it's just prepping them for later in life when they get traded. You know, that, that's all it is. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, you teach them some tough lessons. You know? Right. Right. So I know a lot of people get started uh, kind of in baseball or really in any sport with um, maybe some if not prompting from their parents, at least some like general love for, uh, for the sport. You mentioned that, you know, your son went to play T-ball and, and he's a, he's a Dodgers fan and he's going to baseball games and whatnot. Was your love of baseball kind of cultivated in a similar way or did you find it on your own or what was your first kind of introduction to baseball? And then, uh, subsequently the, your love for the giants. Well, my dad grew up a big baseball fan in uh, uh, New York. Okay. And he grew up there at the time when uh, the Yankees were great. And his his and uh, uh, his dad actually was the, the lawyer for someone who is affiliated with the Yankees. So they actually had seats right behind home plate. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, for, yeah, so they went to a bunch of the games. They told stories about when they would go to uh, the Giants at the polo grounds. At that time, you'd actually go onto the field, and you would cross the field when the game was over to get to the subway entrance. Uh-huh. Can you imagine that now, walking across the field with all these guys no. who spend all their time <laughs> on the field? Yeah, no. <laughs> and one time he was going across, and uh, there was uh, Uncle Milty. It was Milton Burrow was there. Oh, and they, wow. They used to him. So he has all these stories from New York. So my dad's a big baseball fan. And we were into it a little bit when uh, I were kids. We went to a few games. I played a season or two of T-ball, but then I – fell out of it and I wasn't into it. Um, and randomly the thing, the, the story that got me into baseball was I turned on when I was 10, the TV to watch my favorite cartoon, the Transformers cartoon. Yep. And it said, we're preempting today's Transformers cartoon to bring you the season opening of the San Francisco Giants. So I left <laughs> the, the, the channel on and as the, the game started, they kind of started to tell this narrative about how they were playing against the big, tough Nolan Ryan, who was starting oh, the Astros. Yeah. Yes, yes. The greatest pitcher ever. And Will Clark, this kid, was making his major league debut. So they could, the announcers kind of got me into this story, and I'm, wa- I'm watching Will Clark go up there against the big, bad Nolan Ryan. <laughs> and the, his first at bat, Will Clark hit a home run off Nolan Ryan. And it was this incredibly exciting thing. Right. And I watched the rest of that game. And then from that point on, I was a, a Giants fan. But if I hadn't been turning into Transformers, I don't know if I would have got me. There probably would have later on. But that was the, the, yeah. the moment for me. Oh, that's so awesome. And uh, so what I'm hearing is uh, Transformers is, uh, you know, was kind of the, the gateway into baseball for you. So that works. <laughs> Strangely enough, yes. Right. But I think it's so cool when you hear these stories about how people get into specific passions, whether it's baseball or or, or another sport or another, uh, another interest. And, and and typically there is some kind of connection to, you know, your parents or your father. And then, you know, it will 
sometimes come back up later in different ways or, or whatever. So it's always fascinating to me how people kind of kind of get into it on their own. I, uh, I'm a big soccer fan and, and played it like a little bit as a kid. But then uh, my dad's worked for FC Dallas since 19, like since MLS started back in 96. And so some of the one of those things where I didn't really follow it. And then we went to games because he was working there and we were able to get in and I started following it more and more. And then and then as I got older, I started really getting into the, the love of the game. And, and now I'm just a huge soccer fan. But it's one of those things where I was exposed to it. I played it a little bit, fell out of it, and then kind of brought back into it as a result of being around it so much. So yeah, it's it's and it's something that like my kids are already exposed to it and already like I mean we watch the World Cup and my daughter's running around screaming Deli Ali, Deli Ali when England scores and so all this <laughs> different stuff. So but it's it's fun to be able to pass those pastimes on to your kids for sure. And that's the interesting thing I think you bring up about as a parent. I think a lot of times when you're a parent, you'll do things and you have a vision, like, I'm going to get the kid into baseball. I'm going to show the kid baseball. Right. Um, and then they don't seem interested or soccer. and They don't seem interested or whatever it is. And you think it's a waste of time. But then it actually is a stepping stone that uh, to later on and how their life goes. Maybe they get into later on. With my son, I just – he's kind of – you know, everyone learns their own way. I've actually realized with him, I'll tell him something or he'll ask me a question. I'll give him the answer. And he doesn't seem to respond at all or doesn't seem to uh, bring it taken in. And I would get frustrated. But then like three weeks later, he, I'd hear him talking to his mom or something. And he'd be telling her what I told him. So it is interesting. They learn in different ways. And it's all stepping stones for them, I think. So just kind of hanging in there right. is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think <clears throat> I was listening to uh, Kristen Bell give uh, gr- the great Kristen Bell give a uh, yeah. give an interview on uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast uh, not too long ago, and she was talking about the fact that like um, uh, Michael Rosenbaum was asking her, he was like, you know, do they love the fact that you're Anna? You know, is that just a voice Anna and Frozen? Does that just like make their world? And she's like, mm, no, not really. She she talked about the fact that like as as kids, you're kind of built in to resist a little bit, like whatever your your parent is enthusiastic about to a point and then she was like I mean and she gave a couple of examples of things that she resisted and then she like came back into it later when the parents weren't really like talking about it or bringing it up so that totally goes back into like what we're talking about with regards to you're laying those stepping stones you're laying that foundation or they're exposed to it and then they might kind of go away from it for a little bit and then they'll circle back around to it on their own because they're like oh yeah that's uh this is baseball this is that thing that dad was really into and he was talking about now it makes sense that you know Nolan Ryan was here and and the Giants were playing and all this different stuff. But yeah, it's uh, it's always fascinating to me just hearing how people get get started on on uh, different stuff for sure. Absolutely. So now I want to talk about the fact you recently, you and your wife, uh, Heather, recently wrote a book, or I say recently, it, it came out, uh, was it in 2017? Is that correct? The Toddler Survival Guide? Yeah, November of 2017. That's right. November of 2017. So I said recently because I'm uh, getting my dates mixed up. But uh, but yeah, so tell me about what was the motivation for writing that book and why was when, what made it the perfect time to, re- to write it? and release it when you did well it's kind of interesting you know uh i'd always wanted to be uh to write a book or to uh do that kind of thing i've always been a writer and uh my dream was actually to become a screenwriter i went to unit university of southern california film school and i studied screenwriting and uh, that dream didn't really happen for me yet maybe it will but uh my career though has led to a point where i do work online as a writer right and uh, i'm working buzzfeed here as you mentioned earlier the, uh, the pairing editor at buzzfeed and uh, what happened was at one point, uh, a colleague here who had written a book with um, Cordo Books, uh, 
sent out an email to the company saying that the, they're now looking for their slate they were putting together for the fall slate of 2017 or whatever it was. Right. And they were looking for books. And so they were accepting pitches. So pretty much a huge amount of people in the company, and I know outside the company they were searching for pitches, but they were actively uh, accepting pitches at that time. And uh, I pitched this guy uh, this concept of the toddler survival guide. Uh, and it was basically a parody book or not a parody book, but it was a book kind of in the style of the zombie survival guide about oh, sure. how you survive being having a toddler in your house. So right. instead of surviving zombies, it's about toddlers. Right. And uh, they really liked that idea. So um, there was a lot of back and forth. You know, can you then get, can you send us now in a more extended pitch? And uh, my wife and I were writing this uh, extended pitch. He sent it in. This is good. We're going to have a meeting on Thursday. You know, it's Monday night. Can you give me two? Can you write like two sample chapters? <laughs> oh my God. There's all this writing, a frantic month of like back and forth. And the guy, the editor was having two, you know, two or three meetings with the big shots. And, you know, they were worried it wasn't going to be this, wasn't that. So you had to send more samples. Anyway, finally, they got the email that they wanted to go forward with it. And uh, you had six months to write it. Uh, and you know, we both have, you know, I had full-time job and she's got the kids at home and she does a lot of, uh, writing at home for, uh, different things. So it was a hustle. So we hustled in those six months and, uh, uh, they, uh, we got it done. And then they actually, you know, they, they, they were pretty high on it. So they made it a hardcover book. It wasn't supposed to be a hardcover, but they, they switched it to the hardcover cause that costs a little more to print, but they, 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 uh, they wanted to make that investment, and they actually hired a guy named Ted Slampiak, who was from uh, The Art of Man, is that what it's called? Or the, um, I believe so, yes. Anyway, he's a fantastic uh, illustrator, and he did all the funny illustrations inside. Oh, that's awesome. And it was cool to work with him. We could send him you know, our ideas, and he would make them. Um, and then eventually it came out, and uh, it was really exciting. We were able to go to uh, to uh, Barnes and Noble and see our book there on the shelf, <laughs> and we were on uh, TV for a couple interviews, which was great. So it was a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, talking about like there's and of course uh, for the listeners, we'll put this link for the book in the show notes. So that way you can go ahead and purchase it right away. But yeah, just uh, talk about the different types of dirty toddlers: the tattoo artist, the plumber, the gardener, the <laughs> zoologist, all this different stuff. And then yeah, like you were talking about, the illustrations are absolutely fantastic. So that's just it's always funny to me. I've talked to a couple of people that have written parenting books, and it's always funny to me the the style they take and the approach and the way it's written because that just it makes me laugh because it, it you know it's there's a there's a, you know it's baked in truth all of these uh these different concepts like i mean you know you talk about the 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 tattoo artist for one the tattoo artist must be kept away from pins and markers because she sees her entire body as her canvas you know given the chance she'll cover every inch of skin with modern art-esque doodles in her face with markings even mike tyson would describe as a bit much and it's yeah. just i mean it's it's so funny because it's like yep that is 100 percent accurate and if i don't keep the markers away i will uh see my child with all of these different drawings on so it's just it it makes me laugh all of these different uh, styles and different approaches to parenting because it's it's so needed, especially today in today's society where you have a lot of people rushing to make judgments one way or the other based on parenting especially. And you, you kind of need that lighthearted humor 
to, to break up the mundane and really allow people the opportunity to exhale and laugh and realize like, Hey, it's, it's okay. We're all going to be all right here. And so I, it really, I appreciate that you and your wife were able to write a book such, such as this so that way people can have that exhale factor for sure. Uh, and, and what was the, the response to the book once it came out? What was the kind of general response that you guys have received since it came out? It went well. You know, we had uh, people, you know, uh, contacting us and telling us that they really liked it. And we got some good reviews out there. And uh, like I said, we were on a few, uh, we were invited to go on a few uh, morning shows and oh, things awesome. like that. And, uh, you know, it sold uh, all right. You know, I think there was, uh, I had a little fantasy maybe it would become one of, the, one of these big uh, hit books that, goes to the top of the New York sure. Times list. It, right. it, it did not do that, <laughs> but but it did all right, I guess. So yeah. uh, it was just a terrific experience. And, uh, you know, one of the neat things I forgot to mention about the, the writing of the book was that my daughter was, uh, as we were writing it, um, about six. So she was older than the toddler age, but my son was right in the throes of toddlerhood as we were writing it. So we'd be sitting there, and we'd be doing a you know a chapter about you know ways your your kid uh, can you know destroy your home or something, and we're saying, well, what else do toddlers do? And then we'd look in our kitchen, and he was climbing up on the uh, the refrigerator to get up to the top cabinet. Like, oh, that's well, put that in the book. (laughs) So he was inspiring us by having a real live toddler in the wild in our home. That was uh, very helpful in writing the book. (laughs) That's awesome. That is so cool. So. Uh, you know, you mentioned, and I mentioned at the beginning that you're the parenting editor at BuzzFeed, and you mentioned that, and you've been a writer for a while as well. So what was it like? How did you get to BuzzFeed? What, talk, talk me through a little bit about your, your journey and, and how you got there and how you, you kind of were able to work your way up and, and then the different experiences you've had. So just kind of take us through that whole long journey or short journey if it's short. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, about 10 years ago, my wife and I were one of the uh, kind of early uh, parenting bloggers. Um, and she had her website, which she still has, which is the sports are multiplying. And uh, I was uh, doing uh, a, a website called The Newborn Identity, which is still my handle on Twitter for some reason. <laughs> and but that was actually based on my original uh, uh, a uh, um, blog that I had. And I was a stay-at-home uh father at that point. Uh, and so I was writing about things that were happening. And, uh, from there, um, you know, I was helping, um, you know, we switched eventually the, the newborn identity onto my wife's website and we were working together on the sports of multiplying, just writing about parenting content. And the, the website got pretty big, had a big, uh, followership. So we were starting to learn about writing content and how it for parents and how parents respond when, it's a larger audience looking at it. You know, there's a reactions to stuff are different when there's a lot of people looking versus a little, and right. you got to have to learn how to write for that audience. And uh, so that was a great learning experience. We had fun. We did videos. It was just a great kind of fun time um, working from home. And 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 we, in addition to just writing for her website, we're also doing a lot of writing for other websites and uh, writing, doing a lot of parenting writing. And I wrote for Baby Zone, which was Disney. You now Disney's closed shop on uh, Babel and they've closed shop on baby zone. But at one time they had a bunch of these different uh, websites and uh, one was baby zone. So I wrote for baby zone. And um, the funny thing about that was that they had, you know, the traffic boards. That was kind of the first time I'd seen that. So they had like 15 writers and I was able to, they would send us a weekly report. And I remember getting the reports every week and I would be one or two out of the 15 writers. 
And that was a great confidence boost to sure. know that my stuff was really uh, resonating. Um, and then from there, there was a, uh, a job just that, uh, that someone had sent us. And it was BuzzFeed was looking to hire someone to join the DIY team. And it would say having expertise in, uh, you know, crocheting, uh, home to decor, all these kind of DIY type things. And then at the very end, it said, or perhaps parenting. <laughs> so, um, you know, I applied for that. And, uh, you know, to apply, you had to do three sample posts. Uh, and one of those sample posts, which was um, uh, life before kids, or first kid versus second kid, mm-hmm. you know, so that kind of a concept. This is like 2013 at the time. So you, sure. that's concept's been around a bit now. But at the time, it was pretty fresh. And that was like one of the first parenting posts that ever got put on the BuzzFeed homepage. And it did over a million page views. Um, and that was really impressive for a, a – community member, a non-parent, a non-BuzzFeed uh, person. Sure. So that actually got them kind of intrigued by the idea of this working. And they were very kind of resistant at first, other than the person who put the job at, Peggy Wang. Um, she's very smart and she's a big person here, but she had the, the idea that it might work. But there was resistance to hire someone to focus on parenting because I think at that time we thought parenting, uh, that BuzzFeed was a little, little edgy and young for parenting. Right. But I was like, look, parents are young. And, and just because you become a parent, you don't become – you know, a funny daddy nerd all of a sudden, you're still, you know, into the things you're into. So right. for about six months, I did, uh, oh, I'm sorry, were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just saying, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, the funny daddy part comes much later. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm kind of getting into that now, I think. It, it comes about 10 years in. Right. But, uh, <laughs> so they had me doing, uh, they, uh, they hired me as a freelancer, and I wrote freelance stuff for about six months, and then they finally hired me. Full time, I was the first person ever to be hired to cover parenting at BuzzFeed. Oh, that's awesome! And the first two weeks were stressful, and then I had this amazing week. They flew me out to New York to meet the team there, and I wrote these three posts in New York, and those three all went on to blow up in a huge way. Uh, and you know, after that, it was I just I'd arrived at BuzzFeed, and um, you know, five years later, I'm you know still going, and we've actually uh, from that little kernel of uh, beginning um there's now two other buzzfeed writers on staff there's actually a, a, me- a media brand called playful which is dedicated entirely to parenthood and there's a huge and they do a lot of videos and uh parenting is now a huge thing at buzzfeed but uh it, it wasn't anything until i joined and, and that's kind of the the story of where i got to where i am now that's so cool because <clears throat> there's so many times when you'll hear people's conversations about like they're they're working their way up into this area and you know now that they're there they've kind of totally reinvented it but it's so cool to hear you talk about like like you didn't reinvent it you you invented it because there was nothing there and it's like you just kind of blazed your own trailer and like no there's a need for this and and there's a, a definite uh need for people to and and this is kind of what we try and do in the podcast in that it's there's a need for a, a parenting community you know the sense to be able to come together and be like yeah it's not all serious like we're here we're going through the struggles it sucks sometimes it's great other times and we're all working together and it, you know it's fun like let's just let's just be together be this community and like have a have a space where we can all go and and laugh and enjoy life and and there's definitely a need for that and it's so cool that you were able to say like no this is the need this is why it matters and i'll show you and i'll prove it and you definitely did that and more so so i think that is just is definitely a testament to anybody that that want that kind of might be out there listening or thinking 
you know, I don't know that what I can do or what I see as a vision is reality because there's not a role or there's not a job or there's not a place for me. And I think the, the message here is, yeah, well, maybe there isn't. So you got to go create it wherever you go. You got to create the, right. the need for you. Yeah, I think don't give up on something. You know, if you're if there's something that you're excited about, you know, you can create opportunities uh, and look around for people that are wanting to try new things. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, about it, which is just kind of life in general, is that, you know, there's things just kind of happen fortuitously. You know, I mean, if I if we hadn't got sent that job ad, if someone hadn't seen a friend of ours, if she hadn't seen it and sent it over to us, you know, this would never never would have happened. Right. Um, so it's kind of weird how that happens, too. So just kind of, I guess, also uh, be willing to uh, to to, to uh, run things down if they come your way because you never know what might turn into something. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> Absolutely, without a doubt, man. That is just that's a great message that really anybody can take from that because it, it, it is so true. Because you you get to the point where you're kind of like, well, what have I got to lose? I got to ask, or I got to at least like try and see where this goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, then fine. I've learned something about myself out of this whole experience. And at the end of the day, like I'm not worse for wear as a result of it. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I've had a lot of things in my life where. I have done a lot of free work and it looked really exciting. I mean, I was talking about screenwriting earlier. There were a lot of times when like I had a, when I was younger and I had a manager and they're going out with something and they really were excited about it. And, oh, we're gonna, the, the rock's going to read it this weekend. And can you do this? And can you do, and I would spend, you know, all this, sometimes you'd spend six months. They'd want you to rewrite a thing. And you'd have these seemingly exciting opportunities and you would spend all this time. And then at the end, it would just go nowhere. And they say, sorry, it didn't work out, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's important too. I think to know that you know when you get no's, when you get no's, when things don't work out, um, that doesn't mean it's never going to work out. I mean, for me, like when when they had said you had to do three sample posts, that was you know the whole weekend. Right. I could have said, eh, I'm not going to spend my whole weekend doing this for a flyer on this Buzzfeed. Right. Uh, I could have gone out, but you know I put it, I did it, and uh, you know it worked out that time. But you know. I had I had many 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 times right. where I put in those hours that didn't work out. So it, it's about just continuing to knock on the door sometimes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I want to pivot since we're talking about kind of overcoming a lot of adversity and being able to forge forward. I know that there is uh, there's a there's a charity called uh, Friends of Maddie, and so I want you to kind of talk us through how that came to be about and your uh, personal journey, your and your wife's personal journey through that to, to get to the creation of that point, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, you know, as I mentioned, when I first started writing, uh, my, my blog, the newborn identity, and I was a stay at home dad at that time. Um, I was a stay at home dad with uh, our first child. Her name was Madeline or Maddie, as we called her. And uh, she was uh, born premature. My wife had uh, a difficult pregnancy, and, and she actually had very low amniotic fluid. Um, and so Maddie was born at 28 weeks and six days, and she had, had uh, you know, lung difficulties. And it was very, very uh, – and my wife actually was in the hospital for the two months prior to that, just trying to get her further down the line in the pregnancy. But, yeah, she spent 68 days in the NICU there at UCLA. And, uh, I mean, that was a really difficult thing, but we eventually got to the point where she was healthy and big enough to go home. And, uh, we took her home at 68 days and, uh, she was such a happy, smiley, beautiful child. And, you know, they always said when you get to one year, 
that's when you're with the NICU baby with the preemie, which is what she was. Right. When you get to one year, you're pretty much out of the woods. And we got to one year, and so we had this kind of huge first birthday party for her because we really felt like that was a huge uh, uh, milestone right. of her being able to be big enough to to you know live a happy life. But um, uh, unfortunately, she got pneumonia um, uh, about six months after that. She was 17 months old, and uh, she ended up passing away. Uh, and that was just, um, you know, as you can imagine, just horribly devastating right. thing. And uh, uh, we had, and my wife, uh, you know, I was writing, but my wife's blog was much more um, established uh, than mine. So there were a lot of people who loved Maddie and I guess loved Heather and me. And when they found out that she died, they were uh, wanted to help us, and they sent a, a great amount of money, you know, a significant amount of money to right. um, help us with funeral costs and all these kinds of things. It was very, very kind of people. And once we kind of got to the, you know, a few months later when we actually were able to kind of climb out of our, our depths of depression enough to kind of start thinking about life, <laughs> um, we realized that we had, you know, about twelve or $13,000. And what are we going to do with this money? And we decided that we want to use this money to uh, help uh, babies, premature babies. Sure. And parents going through that. And so we started this charity, the Friends of Maddie. And initially our goal, our, our, our objective was to make these what we called um, support packs. And you would, in them they would have like uh, things that you would need if you suddenly went to the NICU as we did because my wife was suddenly raced to the – emergency ward and we ended up at the NICU without a bag packed or anything. And so it had these items that you would need and we actually we would pack up these big boxes with fifty of them and send them to NICUs. And we did that for a few years. But you know, we end up really people were saying, these are great, this is helpful, thank you. But boy, do you have any is there grants or anything of that kind to do? Because what was happening the, the most was that people were having babies go into the NICU or born early and then the, the babies were passing away. Um, and these young families were unable to pay for funerals sure. and they were unable to get headstones and they were unable to get their, in some extreme cases, babies out of the morgue and whatnot. You know, it was mm -hmm. awful. So, yeah. uh, what we decided to do was offer grants to people and we ended up opening it up to anyone who had a child, you know, a minor that they've lost. And that's, so that's really been much more uh, meaningful, you know, to then the support packs because these people really, really are in dire straits and they need help at that time. And, you know, we're able to – we've been able to get you know, people who couldn't afford a funeral. We were able to get a funeral. Uh, they were able to get headstones. I remember talking to a, a grandma. I guess she was the grandmother, you know, of a baby that had lost, and she was telling me, she was really having a hard time and saying daughter was hard time. And I, you know, sometimes we, when you talk to people who are in that situation, because we were in that situation, we're able to give some advice on how to get through it. And, um, you know, talking to her and helping her and then also sending her the money so that they could have the funeral. You know, you really felt like that in that case, especially, but in, in all the cases that you're able to help people, um, get through this really difficult time. So, you know, that's kind of, taken a horrible situation in our life and turn it into a positive thing. Right. Um, so we've been doing that now about nine years and we're still going and we have been uh, fundraising in other ways and we still have money that we give to uh, people when they need it. And uh, yeah, so that's what Friends of 
Maddie. It's friendsofmaddie.org. You can check it out on the internet as well. Absolutely. And we'll be putting that <clears throat> the link for that in the show notes as well. So those that are listening and want to find out more or want to help contribute or whatever else, we'll be able to go straight to it from there. So just if you're listening to this, just scroll down and you can go right right away. Man, that's that how 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 did you and your wife kind of uh work through the loss of Madeline uh and 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 come out through through all of that uh onto where you are now how was the 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 grieving process uh how was that like for you well it's, it's very very difficult and we we both we, we both have good strong family support sure and uh you know my wife ended up going to uh to doing some therapy for about a year you know talking about that and uh, uh, that was very good for her. And uh, I did a little of that, not a huge amount, but um, it was really just kind of getting through, you know, this year or two of hell. And we, we actually, my wife was well. So that was a, a stressful thing where uh, you're trying to, you know, eventually when, when, when Anvil was born, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't all that long after we lost uh, Maddie and you know you kind of felt like um, you know uh, guilty almost of having another child, but you know sure. that was a positive thing. And of course, you know, um, and uh, you know I think it was about moving forward and finding things in your life that you still had because it did feel really hopeless. You know, my Maddie was like my everything in my life. She was like my accomplishment in life in a way. You know, this is what right. I've done. I created this beautiful child and I was being a dad to her and I was, um, you know, uh, taking care of her as a stay at home dad. So it was so meaningful. And when you lose that, I remember in the beginning, this is kind of weird, but I ended up going bowling every day because you could go and I was kind of obsessively writing down the scores in, in a little notepad because you could chart this, the, the, the growth of the, of the bowling scores by practicing. I was for a month or two, I was doing that I was getting better at bowling, which is kind of stupid, but it made me feel like my life. I had there was something I was doing to improve myself. Right. Uh, and along those lines, that's kind of what I I did after that. You know, I really focused on being a better person, being a better parent, being a better, you know, with my career and things. Just really focusing on not making her her loss be in vain. Sure. Um, you know, saying that something come out, some something came out of positive, and starting the charity, of course, that was a huge part of that as well. So um, I don't know if that really answers it, but no, it was, no, it, it does. A very, very <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you know one of the biggest takeaways that I'm hearing because it's <clears throat> it's not something that I can personally identify with, but I do know that a lot of listeners have experienced that or, or at least are close to someone that has. <clears throat> and it is it is meaningful to be able to hear from somebody that's gone through it and is now on the other side here uh, almost 10 years later and, and is able to say that what was able to help you was you were able to focus on improving something about yourself, even though it may seem to other people as mundane as like improving a bowling score. But to you, it's, it's giving you meaning and purpose in the moment and allowing you to, to start bettering yourself and improving overall and able to use that then forward momentum to work. And, and it's, it's a way in which you're able to work through the grief as opposed to shutting it out or ignoring it or trying to, to just block it out and like get over it as opposed to work through it. And so you, you were using this as an opportunity to work through that grief. And then you're able to, at a certain point, evaluate 
your family and your job and your life and able to say, yes, I can do this. There's a lot that we can do from here moving forward, as opposed to uh, just, you know, kind of making this uh, in vain. It's giving giving a lot of purpose to, to your actions and to actions that you then have continued to have. So I think that's outstanding and is definitely meaningful and a great, great life lesson for anybody that experiences that or has experienced that to be able to use this as an example of this is a great, you know, this is what you did personally to be able to work with, work through the the grief and, and work through the situation as well. So I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's, it's definitely a personal piece and, and, and it means a lot that you're able to share that with, with me and with my listeners as well. Oh, well, no problem. And, you know, I think, yeah, like you say, it, it's, you know, when you're in, in the throes of those really dark moments, when you go through something really horrible and difficult like that, and the, the kind of the darkness is there, it's really easy. Um, and I think, you know, people kill themselves and we, we see right. the horrible things happen when people are in bad spots. And it's really easy to kind of fall over the abyss and to look into the abyss and to make the situation worse, you know, heavy, you know, doing drinking or putting yourself in dangerous situations or this kind of stuff. Um, so that was the realization of like, you can kind of keep going down in that direction or you can try to go up right. and try to find little things that'll make your life move you know, away from the darkness into something positive. And, and like you said, you know, the bowling thing was just a, a, one of those things, but of course it's more substantial later. Um, but trying to find the positives in your life and, and build towards something. Right. Absolutely. So, as we start to to wrap up and get towards the end of this episode, I did want to say, uh, what would be a lasting piece of advice you would give to to a parent that might be struggling in right now in the moment, or and or might also be struggling with their career? What's some kind of transcendent piece of advice that you're able to kind of provide to someone that might be working through something or, or working to overcome an obstacle in their path? Boy, that's tough. You know, I think with, when it comes to kids, they can be really frustrating and, you know, they may not be seeing, you know, uh, as we were kind of talking earlier, like the the real growth or, or things. You get frustrated, oh, they got a bad grade. Let's just a duck example, but, you know, whatever it may be. But if you stay there, you stay kind of invested in your kids, um, uh, then you can – you'll see eventually it's going to pay off and that, you know, you have the, the relationship relationship uh, with your children will pay off and the, 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 the fulfillment will come. But it sometimes it's not always there. It's not always immediate, I guess. So if you're there and you're like sleep deprived because your baby has colic and you say, what have I done with this kid? I've ruined my life. <laughs> they're just crying all the time and they don't even look at me and they're, you know, a little baby and you have those moments, but right. uh, you know, you stay with it and you know, it's all meaningful and, and it, it pays off right. as far as career goes. What I've ended up doing um when it's, whether it's talking about uh, uh, writing that book, for example, that we talked about, right. uh, The Taller Survival <laughs> Guide, or, or doing some other personal writing that I do, um, uh, just, you know, when I try to write creative things or whatnot, you've got to find the time to do it. And it's, it's very easy to let go of your dream, whatever it may be, um, because kids and the day job really take up so much time. And uh, you know, one of the things I've done is I've found other t- – I've used other times to do that those things. So for example, I have a long commute to go to work. I drive about three hours uh, round trip each day. And instead of just kind of listening to music or whatever, I actually sit there and I'll think about if I'm writing a, 
let's say a screenplay or something, which I've started to do for the first time in a while or working on that book, you know, I'll, I'll use that time to think about the, the, the chapter or, or the scene. And, uh, you know, some, and then sometimes, so you can use time that you wouldn't normally without kids to do creative stuff. And then you got to do it late at night. You know, you put the kids down, you want to go to bed. If you can even just force yourself to stay up another hour to work on whatever the thing is, you're going to be tired, but you can do it. I think one of the things you learn as a parent from the, the, the discipline parenting requires because it's so exhausting is that you do become very disciplined. And so you're able to force yourself to do stuff. So don't give up, find ways to, uh, to, to feed your, your, your creativity or your uh, hobby or whatever it is. Um, stay up later, use, use your downtimes, whatever you can do. Um, but don't give up on the things you care about because you can still make them happen after kids. You just have to be a little creative. Sure. Absolutely. Those are all great advice, Mike. Thanks so much. And now we're going to pivot to uh, my favorite part of the episode. Uh, I don't know if it's the audience's favorite part, but it is mine. It is the dad jokes of the week. It is a segment where I lob dad jokes at the guest, uh, force them to laugh uh, pitily for me, and the audience groans, but it's fine because I can't hear them, so it works out. Um, but before I get started, I always like to offer the guest uh, first crack. So, Mike, do you have any dad jokes you would like to offer up? Oh boy! Well, I, I I don't know if I have any new dad jokes. You know, I, one, of the, one, of things, my, one of the things I do at BuzzFeed is, is dad joke posts. And right. We've done some of these posts. There's like uh, seventy five dad jokes. We've done a lot of them, so uh, we've we've rounded up a whole bunch of these. But um, <laughs> there's some good ones. Uh, well, let me hear what you got. I'm, okay. We heard them, but if see if you got a new one. Okay. Uh, so uh, Mike, uh, what is Beethoven's favorite fruit? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Ding. Nice job. Nice job. Uh, so I've got, uh, let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, uh, why do chicken coops only have two doors? Oh, gosh. I don't know that one. What's the answer? Because if they had four, they would be chicken sedans. Ah. <laughs> chicken sedans. Uh, the, uh, the last one uh, I've got is... Uh, 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 let's see here. Where was it? I just lost it. Uh, do, 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 uh, oh, uh, yeah, you probably heard this one, but, uh, hey, did you hear about the guy who invented lifesavers? Uh, they say he made a mint. Yes. That's a, that's a classic. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's all I had. <laughs> Those are good ones. I, I like the sedan and the chicken one. I hadn't heard that one. That's a good one. I know. I was pretty excited when I found it. I'm like, oh, nice, because uh, you start doing this show long enough, you start hearing the the you start running through the the gamut of them. So, but uh, but yeah. Oh, you do. Right. All right. So, Mike, if people want to follow you or follow what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, they could go to uh, if they want to check out the the posts I do on BuzzFeed, which are as we kind of talked about, which is a lot of kind of parenting entertainment. It's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, uh, buzzfeed.com slash Mike Spore, Mike S P O H R. Okay. Um, or you can just scroll through BuzzFeed, you'll come across one of my things. <laughs> uh, that's the BuzzFeed stuff. But uh, I'm on Facebook, which is Mike Spore. You can just search Mike S P O H R on Facebook. And working at BuzzFeed, they put one of those little checks next to my name so that you'll know that's me. Right. Um, and I put all my posts on there. That's usually where I put my posts uh, and occasional family stuff. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the newborn identity, and that's where I put an occasional picture of, but all family stuff there. And I'm on Twitter, uh, which is the newborn identity, and uh, I, you know, occasional jokes about my kids, but 
more links to my posts. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I guess I'm uh, should be more uh, active on putting a actual content up but if you want to see the BuzzFeed <laughs> stuff that's where you can find it that works that works well awesome uh, Mike thanks again so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today and we need a hashtag for the episode should we use hashtag don't give up yeah I think that's great alright perfect so uh, alright listeners uh, thank you so much again for tuning in uh, next week we will have another great episode for you and until next time hashtag don't give up and hashtag be a better dad If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.